0: You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. So we're going to go right in for it. So I'm going to be reading... From the book, parts of it, and then expanding on it. So today we're talking about love and life purpose. So in your notes it says, what is is our life purpose? Is it the pursuit of happiness, success, or self-fulfillment? And how do we find out? This is a core question that people wrestle with and can be as misunderstood in the church as outside. So how do you find your life purpose? Do you find it by taking tests? Do you find it by going on an adventure? Maybe th- traveling th- through Asia. I hear it's a good place to go to find yourself and to figure out what you're what you're uh, you're meant to do in life. Um, so the author of this uh, transformations material we're using, his name is Dr. Greg Mitchell, and uh, he says he. So he used to be a woodworking teacher before. He became a pastor and teacher. And he recounts that he's never, um, you know, he's, every time that he's put work into creating something out of wood, um, put a lot of intention into it, a lot of time and energy into making something, he says, I don't, I do not, I don't know. He's never said something like, I just don't know what I made this for. I don't know what this is. I don't, I, I just like carved it or i don't know so he's always he never just says like i just had some time in my hands i had to do something and there was wood in front of me like a creator always has an intention or a reason behind what he makes so how do we find our life purpose back to your notes it's it is best to ask our creator who made us for a reason jesus replied this is in matthew 22 37 to 40 Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So basically, if you were to summarize the Bible in into what God is calling us into, um, it is to love him and to love others. There's over 600 commandments you must have we probably have heard this by now in the Bible and if you summarize all of them the seldom to the purest like common denominator all of the stories they're summed up in the command to love God and to love others. In your notes it says God designed us for a love relationship with him and others. So no amount of money, popularity, talent or knowledge can change our need to love and to be loved. Lots of people, whether consciously or subconsciously, are pursuing happiness as their life purpose, but they miss the point that happiness is the byproduct of something else. So it's not that happiness is bad, it's that perhaps the place that we give happiness in our life is, it ends up disappointing us because it's not the place it should have. So it's the, happiness is the byproduct of healthy relationships, first with God and then with others. So listen to this very carefully. The harder you pursue happiness, the more self-absorbed you'll become and the farther away from happiness you'll be. The only way to experience true happiness is to love God, to receive his love, and to do the same with others, meaning to love them and to receive their love. So whatever you want to be, a doctor, stay-at-home mom, an artist, physiotherapist, lawyer, whatever it is you want to do. Whatever problem, uh, problem you wanna solve in the world, an injustice you wanna speak out against, be blessed to do that. But unless it's about giving and receiving love, there will always be a pit of disappointment inside of you. Therefore, God measures our personal health relationally and not individualistically, that's in your notes. And it's in your notes for a reason. It's, a, <laughs> it's something to wrestle with. So let's unpack what that means exactly. So let's say that I'm gonna ask you a simple question. How are you? I'm sure you would probably just say fine, and like that's okay when we're just passing by and there's no time for that, okay, you're fine. What would you say? You'd probably say you're fine. But if I'm, now I'm I'm gonna be annoying and ask you a follow-up question such as why? Why are you fine? What would you say? Typically, the way that we answer the question, how are you, is determined by how well or how poorly the world is revolving around us that day or in that moment. Think about it, like, oh, I'm doing great, I woke up and you know, everything was fine and I got my coffee and I got here, there was no traffic. But then I wasn't so fine because there was, there was no parking spots <laughs> around the church, and I had to walk, drive around and around, and it took long, and the weather's been okay, gratefully. There's, it's sunny today, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, everybody kind of responds to, answers that question depending on how good, like, your circumstances are today. So, basically, how I'm doing is usually determined by how well the world is serving me or how it's not serving me that day. The way that God looks at that question is not individualistically, but relationally. So from God's perspective, to say that we're doing well is to say, she has a healthy relationship with me, meaning God, her natural and spiritual family and the world around her. Now she's doing well. So it's not so much about how we feel or whether we're going through a difficult time or not, we're doing well if we're in a healthy healthy relationship with God and others. Therefore, this, is, this should be good news because it actually means that we can be well and healthy no matter what is going on around us in every circumstance of life. For example, we have examples in the Bible like Job was, Job was healthy even though life really sucked for him for a while and David, was unhealthy for a little while, even though he was the king and, and life was going really great for him. So it's also good news that God can transform us from unhealthy to healthy, from unfulfilled to fulfilled. Back to your notes. So healthy people, families and churches receive and give love, which produces security and significance, gratitude and generosity, community and mission. So that's all that's really going on for a meaningful life. It really is that simple. And you can find that truth here as much as you can find it in Asia. People who have a fulfilling life understand how to receive the love of God and how to give that love away to others. Healthy people, fulfilled people, receive the love of God and give it away. Receiving and giving love produces security and significance. And this is back to a theme that we've been exploring through the beginning of transformations. The core needs of a human being are to feel secure and significant. So security is found in receiving love and significance is found in giving love away. It produces gratitude and generosity. Grateful people, when you encounter grateful people, you know what's going on inside of them is that they are receiving love and they know it. And generous people are people who are giving love away. uh, Receiving love produces community because you're accepting that you need those around you. And giving love produces mission because you're saying that life is not just about you. When people leave a church, it's often about the giving and receiving of love. Remember, healthy churches, we're not just talking about individuals here. We're talking about groups of people as well, including us as a church. So healthy churches, like healthy people, receive and give love. Now, if somebody's to leave a church, people typically leave a church for one of two reasons. And this is not my theory. Um, the author of this material is way more experienced than this. So I trust his opinion. But So he says he, people leave reasons for, uh, churches for two reasons. It's either too cold, cold, it's either a cold church, or it's boring. Cold means I'm not receiving love. There may be lots of cool things going on, but I'm, uh, I'm not in a relationship with others here. I don't feel like others love me and accept me and, and, and value me. It's cold. Boring means, yeah, well, I feel really loved here. People care about me and you know they're following up and we're going out for coffees and they're asking me really deep questions, but it's boring. We're not going anywhere and we're not doing anything. That's, that um, is an example of what the desire for significance uh, translates into a, when a person talks to you. It's a desire for, for giving love away, which God made us with. So healthy people, families, um, churches, give and receive love, and when that's going on, as a, in a healthy way, not just one, not just right, the other, but both, then we live a life that is not cold and it's not boring. Back to your notes. Uh, it makes a very important statement, self-love can't replace God's love, for he is a better source. So we're going back to the beginning of transformations about who is really the one qualified source of love, and it's God. If you need a reference, it's in Ephesians 5, 29. Uh, And when we think about this, we can Think about the idea that often people try to understand their lack of feeling secure by concluding that they have not loved themselves well. I just have a self esteem problem I don't love myself well i don't I don't care about myself well um, and usually that sometimes sounds like I plan on being a loving person really really I do I want to love others but i'm wor- what I'm working on right now is I'm learning how to love myself because I, I don't love myself, and, but when I get that, when I get how to love myself, and promise I'm going to love somebody else, there's a, that probably doesn't, like you're probably wrestling with that, like how is that, like isn't that right? Is there, some, is there really something wrong with that? Because there's a deep belief in our culture that says that it all begins by learning how to love ourselves. And we use verses in the Bible to kind of back that up and where it says that we should love others as we love ourselves. Um, but we should wrestle with what that, what that really means, what, they, what did Jesus really intend um, to mean with that statement. So one of the other things that we hear a lot um, in these days is I'm learning to forgive myself. And we can hear this one very often in, in church especially. Um, just to kind of have a concept of forgiveness, I just want to remind you that forgiveness is love. It's an expression of love because it means um, forgiving someone's debt and how you forgive, the way to to really forgive is by absorbing the cost of the debt yourself. So not just by ignoring that there was a debt of love against you, but actually absorbing it and accepting that was done against me. It meant that there was no love received by me where it should have been but I will absorb the cost and that's that's the way that Jesus forgave us so how can I absorb or pay the cost of the very debt I cannot pay how can I if we're talking about forgiving ourselves how can I pay the debt that I cannot pay right we can't absorb the cost we already that's the point of it we need someone else to pay our debt always That's why forgiveness is love, because it's a generous thing. It's generous for someone to pay what I owe without any requirement of a payment plan back to them. It's very selfless of someone to forgive anyone else. So the problem is not forgiving yourself or loving yourself. The problem is receiving the love and forgiveness of God. That's where the problem is in your heart. You are not... I am not the source of love and you don't have the power to cancel your own debt. If you have that ki- if you had that kind of power, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die for you. Instead, because of his act of love for you, you have been forgiven by a better source who has the power to cancel your debt. The way that we really find healing is finding someone who has the right and the ability to forgive our debt on our behalf and accepting their sacrifice for for you, for me, for us, as necessary for us to live. Not as an option, but as absolutely vital. Without it, we don't have life. And it's also not just necessary to live, but it's the proof of perfect love for me. Could it be then that my struggle with believing and taking this truth as real for me is my pride? Could it be that me not wanting, could it be me not wanting to admit my weakness, my powerlessness, to make myself a better person, to make myself more loving, and also my need, um, which is really the reality that I'm sinful, and it 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 it, it exemplifies, it, it evidences my need for forgiveness. So if we are honest, we will admit that we are not our own answer. In your notes, given its importance, then what is love? Some people describe love as a feeling, and and we say we love all kinds of things. We love coffee, we love to travel, <laughs> we love to paint and do make art and we love music, and then we also love people, and it's the same word, and it describes things. And um, But I hope that love, I'm sure we all hope that love runs deeper than an emotion. So love is a feeling, but it needs to be more than that. Others say that love is an action, but any action can have various motives. If you love somebody, you'll show it, right? That's true. But any act can have various motives, so, as an example, is having sex always about making love. We'll know that it's not true. There's something out there called rape. So it's just selfish sex, right? So an action doesn't necessarily always mean um, it's loving. If I smile at you, am I loving you right now? Or am I just nervous, because am I up here speaking to you about love? so many different motives, you see the point, it can be, many different motives can be attributed to any given action. So it's too simplistic to say that if I always do this specific action, I'm always gonna be loving. Or if I don't do this, then I'm showing love. So here's what I'd like to suggest to you based on First Corinthians 16:14, which says, do everything in love. Is in your notes more than a feeling or an action, love is a motive of valuing others over self. On 1 Corinthians 16 14. So, love the suggestion here in this material is that love is a motive, it's the reason why you do this over that. More specifically, when we talk about motive, is for whom do you do this action for the benefit of self or for the benefit of others? There's a story um, I've heard before and you probably, especially if you're considering marriage or if this is a thought at all, you've probably heard people say things like, well, um, I'm just asking if this person is the one I should marry, I'm asking God, should I marry this person? Is he the one, is she the one? When is the one going to show up? But it can sound like it's a legitimate question. But then um, at some point, uh, I heard a story of someone asking this question of God and God actually answering back to them, responding to them. You're asking the wrong question. The right question is, can you love this one, her, him, for the rest of your life? And if you can, then he or she is the one. So this is, this is how we know what love is. This is in 1 John three sixteen that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So, so that's what love is. This definition of love, of love meaning that it's a motive and that it's the whole purpose of life, helps explain key ideas, which we're gonna go through one by one and they're in your book. You can follow along. So, First, what is the opposite of love? It is not hate, it is sin and selfishness. Selfishness. It's why we say that, it's because if you think about it, it is possible for love and hate to coexist. God is pure love, yet in the Bible it says that he hates a lot of things. We can love someone and still hate what they do because it hurts them, it hurts them or it hurts someone else. um, But there is something that cannot coexist with love, and it's selfishness or self-centeredness. I'm not talking about receiving love. That's not selfish. It's not self-centered. It's actually humble, because it requires you to uh, acknowledge that you're not self-sufficient, that you need others. But sin always has a selfish motive. If you trace sin back to its root, and it takes a lot of critical thinking, meaning like asking why and then a why again after that answer, and why again am I doing this? Um, To trace back to the root motive, right? Um, Sin always has a selfish motive. It's always gonna be that you are thinking about you in that moment. Number two, what is the law? I know we're going kind of fast, but there's personal study after this. I mean that you're going to be doing during the week and there's a lot to consider probably a lot of truths that are rocking your world right now (laughs) that are making you rethink things on the way you've lived or the way you've approached certain things or you thought about things Um, but this will be said later actually but a sermon is not what's going to change you so that's why I'm not too worried that we're not (laughs) going super deep right now this is just the seed of truth in your heart that you'll just have to um, water and let God water in your hearts, so let 's get back to it. Number two is what is the law? The law teaches us what love looks like. Uh, for some people, the law is a good is a way to get God to like them. I would like to describe the, that as a misuse of the law. instead, I believe that the law simply teaches us what love looks like. Uh, I believe in the beginning of transformations also made us um, there was this truth this concept that was kind of hard to let, to hear but that made us realize that in reality compared to god we're completely ignorant so god has given us the law as a way to show us what love looks like we're ignorant of so as to we're we're naive and we're we're oblivious sometimes as to what love really means and what it would look like in every single circumstance and situation that we're going to be in in life so the command. so so that's why the law exists but so for example, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So again, God, why did God give us the 10 commandments? Because sometimes you and I can deceive ourselves into what we think love is and what it's not, but We're not right. (laughs) So he gives us the commandments so we will know before we kill someone or before we steal something that it's not going to go well for our relationship. We're going to break relationship. Now, that's more common knowledge now these days, but there are other things that we still, right now, don't really understand how certain things would break relationship. Being proud and arrogant and gossiping. If I do these things, odds are high I'm not going to, I'm not being very loving to this person. But sometimes that's hard to see still. These are not as very clear cut as do not murder. (laughs) But there's plenty of those. So the law is meant to describe love to us. Laws can't fully capture love, but they point us in the right direction. Point three, what is perfection? God values our direction meaning what are we aiming towards, what are we walking towards, are we walking towards a purpose of uh, love and our motive, not our perfection. In Matthew 5 it says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So how is God perfect? How does... He surpassed the teachers of the law who, like, really needed and, like, were very serious about keeping all the commandments. He's selfless. Listen to this. This one is really key, I think. Um, Imperfect love surpasses legalistic righteousness. Imperfect love surpasses legalistic righteousness. Meaning feeling right about doing all the right things. Legalistic righteousness is mostly about me. I want to look like a good person. Therefore, I'm going to follow all the rules. That's about me. Imperfect love, however, is mostly about having the courage to love somebody else outside of myself even if I might not look great. So I believe there's a picture in your notes that was drawn by Greg's son. And that's their family, cute. And uh, I hope it's not a realistic depiction of what they look like. Um, but <laughs> it's, let's read what the son wrote in the, in the picture. Me and you forever together, Here's a picture for you to remember me when you're working. I hope you like it. You and mommy are my best friends. And whoever the father would be in this situation, I'm sure that in their eyes, this picture is perfect, right? Nobody would change a thing about it. Who would start criticizing the proportions (laughs) Proportions <laughs> of the faces and the colors used. You wouldn't change a thing about it. Could we have the courage to live our lives like the person who drew this picture? And this is a child. Talent is um, not evidence of love. We can use talent. To communicate love, but it's a choice. So, number four, let's get through the concept of maturity then. What is maturity? It is about love, it's not about self fulfillment. Love is other focused. We talk a lot about maturity here, and, and the Bible talks about maturing in God's love. So let's let's talk about what it means. We all want to grow. We all want to be. We become Christians because we want to. We're convinced that um, God has created us in His image. But the other only way to live according to His purposes and in His like perfect image is to let Him uh, be our God, to guide us, to be our King, to be our Father, and to help us grow to be like Jesus, right? It's, it's a process, we know that we don't just like one day wake up being a lot more like Jesus, it's a process, and it's usually painful. Uh, but we desire that so much, and we know that it's the best thing for us and the best thing for the world that God put us in, that we uh, like make that um, willful choice of engaging in that process. So how do we grow, how do we become more godly or more like Jesus, um, it's not by getting myself together, not by um, achieving the plans and purposes that I have for my life, not by setting a bunch of goals by a certain time, this is what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. It's not even by completing this course, because it's whether you put your heart into it or not. So self-centeredness, it's, it's a, so what it is about, it's about being other-focused, Self-centeredness never leads to self-sacrifice. A mature person has the capacity to consider others before themselves. They have the ability to put their own interests aside and just think about another and act for their benefit without even considering what's in it for them. A mature person has the ability to make a moment not about them. You'll have to trust that if you give your life for the blessing of others, that God will look after you. He promises he will, so it's just a question of whether we trust him. If you think about, this in your notes, there's a quote by Woodrow Wilson. If you think about what you should do for others, your character will take care of itself. We know that Jesus cares about our character because it is our character that reflects God's character. It is very important. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. When people look at us and we say, hey, I'm a Christian, it means I'm a child of God, and it, they automatically wanna see, okay, that's what God is like then. If you're a child, and you're talking to me about what your, God, your father is like. So our character matters. Is, isn't that a great quote then? Have you ever tried to work on yourself? Have you, have you succeeded? How's it going? The idea of maturity is I'm working on me and you kind of have to squeeze to like not do certain things that are you know you shouldn't do and that's how I'm gonna grow. I'm gonna try really hard. And it's really hard to be good. Mm-hmm. We, we think that's how we mature. We work on ourselves. But what if the road to maturity was found in thinking about someone else and not yourself? As you think about someone else, your character will take care of itself. What if Christian maturity isn't about internal development but about thinking about another person? Isn't that more simple? As we think about another person, we will become kind and understanding. So if your goal is to be a kind person, don't try to, Think, like, become self conscious of everything you're doing, but like, try to just care about the other person. Think about the other person. What would they appreciate? What if we become godly by accident, meaning mature, by accident? Because it's not what I was focusing on. I was just thinking about you and what is best for you in this moment, how I know you receive love. What if godliness is a byproduct of something else, just like happiness is? What what a different way to think of maturity, not as self-development, but as relational health. Number six, what is church? It's not a building, a meeting, or organization. We are the church. Biblically, the church is the people of God. We'll gather together at moments like right now, but the church is the people. His unchanging plan is in your notes. It's a quote from the Bible. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Here at Jubilee, we believe the best way to describe. church is a spiritual family you will hear that over and over that's why we want to become that's what we're aiming for because we believe that's what church is um spiritual family with a heavenly father who we all trust and we live in response to him and care for one another our father perfectly this in your notes our father perfectly designed churches to be families who love him their brothers and sisters and the fatherless The church is perfectly designed, listen, that's what he wrote. The church is perfectly designed to lead us to love God, to receive his love, and to love others. Let's explore how this is true, because it may not be always evident how the church is perfectly designed to uh, help us receive love and love and, and give love. But it's perfectly designed to grow us into more loving people. Above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So what does this mean? What is going on in the church according to this? A multitude of sins, not a couple, not one. There's not one issue here. There's a multitude of sins. Sin meaning missing the mark of perfect love. So, what's the antidote to that? What's the response? Is that love covers it all. So love each other. Because love covers all of them. What's the best way for you to become loving? It's to be around a multitude of sins. And in that place, you have to work through how to be loving to people who are sinful. Far and away, the best way to become a loving Person, a godly person, a child of God, more and more in the image of Jesus, is to be around a multitude of sins. Counterintuitive. And then it says, "Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling." What does that mean? It means if uh, if you're kind and hospitable to others, to other people, they are probably going to take advantage of you at one point. Doesn't that, hasn't that happened to anyone? Don't people like become, the kind of like, there's a, re, often people reach conclusions like, I just need to be more selfish because look what happens when I love people. They're probably going to take advantage of you again. And odds are, high you'll get a bad attitude about it. I would, I do. <laughs> Being Christians means working through that. Not just concluding that, this is where i stop being a loving person this is my limit if we want to be like god god has no limit to his love his love is perfect all the time he's always giving read first corinthians 13 we've talked about this before it's hard to be loving like god is loving but we should work through that so people in the church tempt us all the time to be resentful and to grumble in your notes, it is easy to cho- choose a church based on its perfections. Just like it's easy to choose friends based on their perfections, or a spouse, or a group of people, or whatever. It's, we always wanna choose based on their perfections, on the good things that they do for us, what we like about them. I want the church that has the perfect programs, the perfect beliefs, otherwise known as the beliefs that I have. And I want the church that has the perfect people, the perfect um, greeting team, the perfect things that I value. It needs to care about social justice and humanitarian aid. It needs to care about artists and professionals and students. Now, I don't intend, I don't intend on doing any of that when I choose that church. I'm just gonna watch people do it because it makes me really, it makes me feel really good that people are doing all the things that society wants a church to do. But, yeah, so it's great. I need a church to be made in my own image. That would make me feel really, really good. And we, I know this is a caricature, but it's, caricatures are meant to exaggerate things that are there, right? In your notes, yet relational tensions mature us more than great sermons. This one's not an example of a great one. But great sermons, inspiring worship, or nice friends. The best way to... Thank you. The the best way to grow is to be around real people and to get close enough where they will bother you and you'll grow resentful. (laughs) And it is in that place that you're going to grow as a Christian and become that godly man or woman... That you've always wanted to be. <laughs> it's actually by pushing us to the limit of our love when we need God to supply the love that we know we can't give. And trust me, if you haven't gotten to that place, maybe you haven't put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You've made your life too easy. You're surrounded by perfect people who love you perfectly. But trust me, we all have a limit to the way to our to our love. God designed your church to lead you into that so can we all just thank god right now thank you for the sinners that i'm sitting with (laughs) who are helping me to become the person that you made me to be amen (laughs) we become caring and forgiving by being with people who need care and forgiveness Otherwise known as people who are needy and sinful. Reality check: that's every single person, not just the people that you like. Come, when you say needy and sinful, perhaps there's people like kinds of people that come to your mind really fast, like you know what, Manuel? <laughs> 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 but you you may have a type of people like. Addicts, people who are in jail, like oh, it's, that's so evident and so clear, but just because it's not so evident and you may have to take a little deeper, it doesn't mean that you're not needy or you're not sinful, we all are. Now I'm just gonna tell you a story um, about us. So Michael and I decided from the, from the time we were talking about getting married that we wanted to live in community which means to, we wanted to have, uh, look for a place that would be big enough where not it wouldn't just be like the one bedroom where it's just a couple and, and in the future where we have families just as like, uh, a lot of people do this like it's not rare that then people rent rooms to you know to have roommates even as a couple or as a family it's It's not rare, but it was the, the, it was a little bit more than just renting out rooms for um i don't know just for the sake of having a bigger house or like having people around and not feeling lonely. It was for the sake of community of building community where where, where these things would happen like we have to work through what you know, who's going to cook when? And, and how are you going to share food? And like all of these things that are not always comfortable, but that actually bond people together. And, and also for the purpose of perhaps as we create a family with ourso- amongst ourselves, maybe it'll speak to people outside this house as to... Um, as to why we do this we do this because we love our friends and, and yes it's hard but like it has all the rewards and you know it would speak to people about God so we've in short we've been a living experiment for the past five years and five years and over 20 roommates later and uh, one daughter later <laughs> I'll tell you what I got out of it so far I love experiments, Um, I have a background in science, so like, observations, you know. You observe, what has happened, this is what I've observed and I'm convinced of it, no longer need convincing that I'm not as nice a person as I once thought I was. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) I can kind of fake it on Sundays, it's easy. It's three hours, all right, we're gonna do it, but come live with me, guys. (laughs) No, but this is really what I mean. Is that is that my by most standard, most standards, I'm considered a kind, loving person, right? Whatever. But but there are really there are a lot of others who would disagree with that assessment, <laughs> starting with Michael. <laughs> um, no, what I mean is that they have experienced the limits of my love. This is what it means. Um. Yeah. So there's however there's there's one in particular aside from the obvious two, my husband and my daughter whose presence in my life reminds me of my utter inability to love others the way god loves me let's call him george he struggles in life in ways that i i never have so because he struggles with things you know things have happened in his life that i've never experienced i thought oh well, God is obviously calling me to love George by helping him or making him change into a better person. Somebody maybe more like, I don't know, me? He doesn't know how to clean his room. Like, oh, I can help him with that. I, yeah, Whatever, fill in the blanks. I used to pray to God, I used to pray that God would change him. Because it would be so good for him if he changed. Like seriously, his life would go so much better. Reality is, he would make my life better if he changed. Because it's hard to love a person when they bug you. I really see that now. I wanted him to change because it would be good for me. God has shown me how poorly I loved George, and now I am—I more feel bad that God used him to change me. Seriously, God has and continues to use him in my life. He doesn't live with us anymore, but he's still in our lives. And he continues to use him in my life to humble me and to remind me that I am just like him. I may not struggle with the things, the practical things he struggles with, but I am just like him. I am lost without a father. I'm seeking love, whether that means attention, security, significance. Without God, I look for that in all the wrong places, and I'm simply just selfish, like all of us humans. But somehow, see, I... I used to believe that God's response to all these things our selfishness and all the different, the myriad of ways that that is expressed would make God kind of like annoyed or um, impatient to change us. But I have never experienced God be like that with me. I experienced other people be annoyed at me, but never God. And it's in the tone that he says things. It's not that he doesn't want me to change or he never challenges me to change, but it's in the tone that he says it is the how he convinces me that it's not best for me. It's in his patience to like not, to wait for me to realize that it's not good for me as opposed to like impose it. So this should transform me, right? If, if this is my experience of God, where my experience of God was here, you can come in, come be my daughter. That's what I want you to do. Not like, okay, when you learn how to make yourself presentable, and you learn how to clean well, and you serve well, and you sing well, and you do this well, then you can come into my house and enjoy all the privileges of being my daughter. It was first belong, and then you can see if you want to change because it would be better for you if you did. And you would see how you can bless others if you did. So who is going to grow you more in the image of God? The free, true, you're, true to you, God, the person that God created. A sermon, a prophetic word, and a worship night, or George? Don't take me wrong, we need those other things. We need sermons. They encourage us, they, they teach us truth. They help us, like um, like we're doing right now, uh, struggle with truths and, like, um, unpack things. Prophetic words are amazing, and they encourage me. I love prophetic words. They encourage me to remember, oh, th- right, this is how God sees me, not as, like, the mess that I am right now that I'm realizing, like, I can't get out of this. Um, those are great. Same thing with worship nights. Focus my my eyes on God and not myself. But... George is going to grow me. Now now, my relationship with George gives me a context in which I need prophetic words, I need a sermon, I need teaching. So don't pray that George will go away like I did. George is good for you to understand how to give and receive the love of God. When you are around people who struggle and you listen to their stories and you listen for what dri- like listen really carefully beyond what they're saying, and you may need the Holy Spirit in order to do that, you listen for what drives their story, you may realize that it's the same thing that drives your story. We may, we may resort to different addictions, but we are just as selfish and we have, we have to be because we don't have a better source. We're all we've got. If you think you're better than others because you have made better choices in life, let me love you by asking you this. Did you know that obtaining and maintaining an appearance of righteousness could be very well, could very well be motivated by self-centeredness, which ultimately will end up destroying you? In other words, is it possible that your desire to do the right thing? Be motivated, is it possible that it's motivated by the benefit it brings to you instead of the benefit that it brings to others. Loving people through a season of struggle in their lives is not something I'm good at. I can confess that, no, not because um, I'm not a good person, but again, because I've, I've come to the realization that I've, I've sucked at it long enough and hurt enough people who've gone through struggles to say that that is just not my forte. I actually am in a place where I feel the weight of my sin, and I have to accept this as the truth. So for me, being in a relationship with people who struggle in life, and being in relationship also this is another one. It's being in with an infant and a tot- or a toddler now preschooler. It's basically loving people who are where you have to give a lot of yourself. Where there's a lot of sacrifice. It's. Um, they call it the, where the stage my daughter is currently at, the three majors. It is, so it's done that too for me. It, it has by far most challenged me to say, Father, here I am. I don't get love at all. I call myself a Christian. And this is not probably true for all of you, but for me, now I call myself, people call me pastor, and I'm a minister, and like I lead a church, and it's not because I love well. (laughs) It's because of your grace. I don't get love. I don't get how you can love people perfectly, and I need your help. It is super hard for me to love when I see no personal benefit, which is what love really is, so do I really love at all? The answer can be yes when we're connected to God and receiving his love perfectly. Now we're free to love for no personal benefit. We're already complete. We're already full. We don't need your response or that. You just, we're loving because it gives us pleasure. Back to your notes. If we prefer polite, useful relationships over the messiness of church life, we will live lonely, empty lives, void of love. There is a saying, fruit only grows on trees. So, will you connect to your father's imperfect family? The bottom line is, if you stay, you win. Greg tells people this. He says, "Uh, I have magical powers. I can tell... You wanna know what they're about? His magical powers are that he can tell people before they know themselves when they're gonna fall away from following Jesus. I want this magical power. We're all gonna have it after this because it kind of gives you the secret. Uh, so people always ask him, really, like, oh, how, can, how can you tell? Because I really intend on following Jesus. Like, I'm trying my hardest. So this is how it goes. He says, you're gonna say, I really love Jesus. But I'm just not so into church these days. But I love Jesus. I worship him alone. I work tight, just not so much into other people. And uh, what, what Greg always tells them is, well, yeah, I understand. You need a little bit of a break. People are tiring. Like, yeah, we get it. Now, question, where is the father? we're talking about we're children of God, we're talking about we want a, co- a connection with God and we can have a relationship with God outside of church. That's kind of where, where, what this person is saying. But where is the father? And the answer is the father is always with the kids. So if you separate yourself from the kids, what have you done? You've separated yourself from the father because it's a package deal. If you want to get to know a father, any father, but especially God as a father, he comes with the family. It's how it goes. If you separate yourself from the family, then you won't really get to know the Father. And if, um, Yeah, so if you want to be with the Father, be a part of the church family. And if you hate the family, you'll grow to resent the Father, and you will leave your faith. According to Greg, he's seen this over and over. The best thing that you can do for your faith is to stay in an imperfect church. And I'm not saying that to make you stay here. Just pick one and stay there. People will always come up with reasons why they leave a church or any authentic community because it's too hard to give and receive love in any place. But in this place... Therefore, the goal of of Sundays is not to build a consumer crowd. It is the front door into God's family. Let's conclude. Sin breaks relationship and love blesses relationship. So we make daily decisions at home or work by asking, what does love look like here? And I want to add, if you want to add this to your notes, I encourage you to. We already heard it's not about perfection. What does imperfect love look in this moment? We're not after trying to be perfect, we're after trying to be courageous and trying to love the best we can. And this becomes our life purpose. That question guides our life. What's most loving? As an employee towards your boss, uh, to your clients, what's most loving? To cheat, to do the minimum, it's not loving, it's not honoring. In parenting, we can ask our kids things like, what are you doing, is that loving? Yes, no, Hitting my brother is not loving. Okay, what would be loving? Okay, then would you do that? All right, good. Therefore, our life purpose is less about what we do and more about why we do it. Love redeems all we do, even pain. So where do we begin? amazingly we don't become less sinful and more loving by trying harder it begins with receiving God's love we love because he first loved us when our hearts receive our adoption the need to be selfish is removed life then is not a balancing act between selfishness and selflessness but be, uh, selflessness but between receiving and giving love it's not about serving a lot and loving everybody and then scheduling the time when you have me time you don't need that, God is with you when you serve. You know that you know how you receive from God. No matter how long we follow Christ, it may never be more complicated than receiving and giving God's love. The result is a life of peace and joy, even in hard times. So let me ask you in conclusion: Do you want love? If you don't want love, heaven is going to be very disappointing because that's all that's going on there. And if heaven for you is just the place to be perfectly selfish, then you'll also be very disappointed. If love becomes your life motive, it will not only redeem today, it will give you hope to endure longing for the day when you will see God, not dimly, but you'll see him face to face and you'll be in a community. That's, by the way, what's going on there. It's a community. It is going to be a great day. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.